you're invited to the 15th Annual Opera News Awards. Join us on April 5th at the Plaza Hotel as we celebrate this year's esteemed honorees, Sir Thomas Allen, Javier Camarena, Anthony Roth Costanzo, Diana Damrau, and Anna Maria Martinez. With video tributes, a live and silent auction, and a musical performance by Stephanie Blythe and Craig Terry, this festive black tie gala dinner will be a highlight of the opera season. Don't miss your opportunity to join fellow opera lovers at this extraordinary event. For tickets, call 212-769-7009 or visit www.metguild.org awards. The Metropolitan Opera's new production of Der Fliegende Holländer, The Flying Dutchman, is the earliest of Wagner's works to remain in the standard operatic repertoire. On this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, The Terrifying Dutchman Returns. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. Wagner's tale of the cursed sea captain has captivated audiences since its premiere in 1843. I'm Stuart Holt, and on this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, lecturer, composer, and conductor Victoria Bond discusses the musical genius of Wagner and the power of love in Der Fliegende Holländer. It's always interesting to know what events influence a composer's works. In the opera Der Fliegende Holländer, we have Wagner's own words confirming the initial impetus. It was a terrifying sea voyage in 1839 from Riga to London when he was fleeing from, well, you guessed it, his creditors. The raging water of the storm, the howling winds, the near-death experience shaped Wagner's turbulent music. When the ship finally sheltered in a Norwegian fjord, Wagner wrote, A feeling of indescribable well-being came over me as the sailors' calls echoed round the massive granite walls while they cast anchor and furled the sails. The sharp rhythm of these calls clung to me like a consoling augury and soon shaped into the theme of the sailors' chorus in my Fliegende Holländer. Already at this time, I was carrying around with me the idea of this opera, and now, Under the impressions I had just experienced, it acquired a distinct poetic and musical color. So about a year after Wagner had written these words, he uh, wrote the the chorus of the the sailor's chorus, uh, the chorus of the Dutch uh, crew, and most importantly, Senta's Ballad. The full score was completed in 1841, and interestingly, because Wagner of course, wrote so extensively about his life, about his thoughts, about his creative process, we actually have his own words in a document that he wrote called Communication to My Friends. This is what he wrote. I remember that before I proceeded to write Der Fliegende Hollander at all, I first sketched Senta's second act ballad, composing both the text and the melody in this piece, I unwittingly planted the thematic seed of all the music of the opera. It was the poetically condensed image of the whole drama, as it was in my mind's eye. And when I had to find a title for the finished work, I was strongly tempted to call it a dramatic ballad. When I eventually came to the composition, the thematic image I had already conceived quite involuntarily spread out over the whole drama, in a complete, unbroken web. All that was left for me to do was to allow the various thematic germs contained in the ballad to develop to the full, each in its own direction, and all the principal features of the text were arrayed before me in specific thematic shapes of their own making. 
So this is really fascinating because Wagner is then telling us that Senta's ballad is like the, the central motif of the entire opera and contains the, in, the whole story and all of the motives in it. And this was the first thing that he wrote. So that as a result of writing this a year after he had that experience, the whole piece just came to him, each with its subsidiary themes finding their own direction. He had first read about the legend of the Flying Dutchman in Heinrich Heine's 1833 satirical novel, The Memoirs of Herr Schnabel Wonski. And uh, this, this particular memoir is uh, extremely funny because after telling the story of the Flying Dutchman and saying that the only way that the Dutchman can be redeemed is to find a woman who will be faithful to him, um, Heine in the end says, poor Dutchman, he is often only too glad to be saved from his marriage and his wife's savior and to get on board again. Well, Wagner did not have a sense of humor when it came to uh, a woman being his savior. And he took this very seriously and it was, it, it impressed him tremendously, the concept of a woman's fidelity rescuing man's soul a theme that was to become significant in his later operas. Senta is the first in a series of idealized women, culminating, of course, in the selfless actor Brunhilde. But this also has a basis in Wagner's own biography. It's easy to understand his longing for a faithful woman because of his first wife, Minna Planner. He met Minna when she was a successful actress at the Magdeburg Theater. And Wagner was very jealous and possessive. And to his great distress, Minna had many suitors. And she was not only dissatisfied with the Magdeburg troupe, but she was probably also dissatisfied with Wagner as well, because she left him suddenly to take on a role at a theater in Berlin. Wagner was wild with despair and implored her to come back and marry him. Wagner's position at this time brought in little money, and Minna's continued popularity on stage meant that she was the main breadwinner. Uh, she continued to have admirers and ran away from Wagner with a local businessman. Wagner begged her to return to him. Despite another short reconciliation, Minna ran away again. So it's really easy to understand why the idea of a faithful woman was something that Wagner longed for, particularly in his early life. Well, uh, Minna and Wagner eventually divorced, and Wagner married Cosima, who proved to be a much more faithful and devoted wife to him, though not to her first husband, Hans von Bülow, who she abandoned together with her two children. So by the end of May 1841, Wagner had completed the libretto and some of the music for The Flying Dutchman for an audition at the Paris Opera. He was hoping to get a performance in Paris. So um, he brought that along with the sketch of the plot. And he actually sold a sketch to the director of the opera, but the director was not at all interested in the music. Amazing to consider now that he liked the plot, but not the music. While the score was originally designed to be played continuously in a single act, Wagner divided the opera into a three-act work for its premiere in Dresden in 1843. Now, uh, tonight's performance will be the one-act version. So Wagner gives us clues to the precise meaning of the myth. As I mentioned, Wagner wrote extensively about his thoughts and his creative process, and I found this particularly meaningful. The figure of the Flying Dutchman is a mythical creation of the folk. A primal trait of human nature speaks out from it with heart-enthralling force. This trait, in its most universal meaning, is the longing after rest from amid the storms of life. We meet with it in the wanderings of Ulysses and his longing after home, house, hearth, and wife the unattainable and at last attained reward for the city-loving son of ancient Hellas. The Christian, without a home on earth, embodied this trait in the figure of the wandering Jew. For that wanderer, forever doomed to a long-since outlived life, without a name, without a joy, 
there blossomed no earthly ransom. Death was the sole remaining goal of all his strivings, his only hope, the laying down of being. Well, unlike Wagner's wandering Jew, however, his Dutchman can be redeemed by a woman's love, a theme that would become a part of all of his operas. I want to demonstrate some of the elements that go into the Flying Dutchman because they become part of Wagner's vocabulary later on as well as in this opera. So the famous overture introduces the stark, dramatic motif of the Dutchman. Here are the ingredients that make up that motif. Number one, the open fifth. It is an interval that dominates Wagner's vocabulary. Acoustically, it is fundamental to the overtone series. It is ambiguous because it's neither major nor minor. Let me show you what I mean. This is major. This is minor. This is the open fifth. It doesn't have the middle note, which tells you major or minor. So it is a very ambiguous chord. It has a kind of a primal feeling. And Wagner taps into that primal feeling to describe the fury of the storm. The next ingredient is the diminished chord, which becomes very, very important in all of Wagner's operas. Again, this is a chord that is neither major nor minor, but it has a very dark, brooding quality. And it also has an, the kind of ambiguity that I mentioned in the open fifth, but for a different reason. The open fifth is stark, but the diminished chord has is filled in, but you can't really get a handle on it. It's not um, as obvious as a major or a minor chord. The next ingredient is the chromatic scale. Again, a scale that has a lot of ambiguity to it. It's not a major scale. It's not a minor scale. rather a scale that has all of the white and the black notes. Now, Wagner uses these three ingredients to create a sense of drama and a sense of mystery. he puts these three ingredients together, and we'll hear these in the overture. He uses them also in Senta's song. So let's listen to this in the orchestra. Uh, the first clip will uh, demonstrate the first two themes, the, the and the
Now, Senta's music is quite different because it is um, in a key. It's in a major key, F major. Um, I shouldn't call this actually Senta's song because Senta's song begins actually with the motif that I played for you. But this is the gentler side of Senta, and you could also say the gentler side of the Dutchman, because this music is in a key and it has a much more familiar feeling to it. Contrasting that is with the very stark kind of horn call of the Dutchman. Now, as I had mentioned before, it is the sailors' chorus that really sparked the whole thing. When Wagner first heard the sail sailors' cry of joy as they reached a safe harbor after this terrible storm. And this is the music that he conceived for the sailors. back into the turbulent music. But you hear how this has a dance-like quality, um, and uh, it becomes an important part, a contrasting section, to both Dutchman and to the gentler side. I don't want to call it Senta's theme, because as I say, Senta uses both the, uh, the Stark theme as well as this lovely F major. And in this next clip, which is also from the overture, um, it's a bit of the Sailor's Chorus. What Wagner does at the end of the overture, he brings this, uh, this, the starkness of the neither major minor chord into a major chord. So he, there is a resolution. In a way, the overture also is an encapsulation of the story, which ends, of course, in a triumph. So in this next clip, you'll hear all of the themes sort of um, uh, in a development section, very symphonic development section of the opening stark melody, the F major melody, the chromatic scale, the diminished chord, the sailor's chorus, and then this final grand conclusion.
So, beginning with Act One, the opera starts out on the deck of a Norwegian captain's ship, Daland, his ship. Although the ship has been blown off course by a hellish wind, they are now back on course to return to their home. And the helmsman sings a very lovely song about his sweetheart, who he longs to see again once they reach shore. And he's kind of sleepy and falls asleep, and the eerie ghost ship with blood-red sails appears out of nowhere, revealing the Dutchman. Seven years have passed since he was last on shore, and once more he has the doomed hope of finding a woman who will release him from his curse. To the surging accompaniment of the orchestral motif heard in the overture, he sings an aria of despair and frustration as he vainly seeks release from the curse that makes him an eternal wanderer. In this performance, baritone Simon Estes personifies the Dutchman's obsession.
Kreuz und blieb davon. Wie auf den Meerestiefsten Schlund spürst ich vor come to a much more prosaic section, which is the Dutchman's meeting with the captain, Daland. The Dutchman knows that he has only this one chance to find a woman to be faithful to him and to free him from this curse. And he asks Daland, uh, do you by any chance have a daughter? <laughs> <laughs> and Daland says, yes, I have a very beautiful daughter. And he says, can I marry her? Well, actually, he doesn't say that at first. He says, can I meet her? Um, I have all of this treasure. And he brings up a treasure chest filled with, with jewels and gold. And Daland, who is a very practical person, shall we say, uh, thinks, oh, well, this, is, this would be a good match. So uh, he says, yes, I, I agree for you to marry my daughter. Of course, she has no say in this whatsoever at this moment. Um, and please come to my home and meet her. So um, as the first act is an act of men, the second act is, shows us the feminine side of it, and we go into the home of the Dalan, the captain, and Senta. And the first excerpt that I wanted to play you is the spinning chorus. This is the women um, spinning in this particular production, you're going to see that there are ropes there. Of course, there's always nets and ropes and all sorts of things connected with, um, with the sea that need to be repaired. So in, uh, in, that, in this particular production, they'll be weaving ropes. But in this, they're spinning. And um, this, the nature of this music is very kind of mundane and prosaic and sort of um, conventional, I would say. Um, they're thinking about uh, their sweethearts who are the sailors on the ship and they're looking forward to seeing them. And the woman who kind of oversees all of this activity, Mary, says to Senta, how come you're not participating? Well, Senta has a boyfriend by the name of Eric, but she's really not in love with him at all. Well, I'll come to that later. Let's look at the spinning chorus first. <laughs> says, You're, you idle girl, as you see on the screen, why don't you spin like the others? And uh, as you see, Senta is somewhat obsessed, shall we say, with the portrait of this man who she has never met. And of course, being obsessed with a portrait is nothing new in opera. Um, we <laughs> these business, this bezaubert schön, right? We have that in, in Mozart's Magic Flute, and we have it in many other uh, things. But of course, Wagner continues this tradition of uh, a woman falling in love with a picture before she actually meets the man. And uh, she holds herself apart from this um, cheerful domestic scene. 
Um, and her aria is not lovely. It's stark. It takes risks. It's bold. And it gives us a perfect portrait of who Senta is. As Wagner said, he wrote this aria first. So he knew who she was before anyone else in the, in the opera, really. And so this is the central aria. And here she tells her companions about the Dutchman and who he is and why she's in love with him. ballad contains both of those elements and she starts out a cappella singing something that Wagner may have thought of when he wrote the uh, Toya to Ho of the Valkyries a very um, that the, uh, the singer the cast is was that no no here's the cast um, uh, uh, Senta is Elizabeth Balslev Balslev and uh, well we haven't met Eric yet Mary is Ani Schlem who doesn't have much to sing in this uh, as I mentioned, Simon Estes is uh, the Hol Hollander, and Daland, who we'll meet in this next excerpt, is Mati Salmanen. Yeah, so it's a wonderful cast, and as you see, it's a very dramatic production, to say the least. Um, well, of course, now comes uh, uh, Daland's purpose in all of this, which is to introduce Senta to the Dutchman. And um, uh, he's probably thinking it'll be uh, sort of a cheerful meeting. He tells... <laughs> <laughs> he tells the Dutchman how beautiful his daughter is, and um, he tells his daughter how rich the, uh, the Dutchman is. So he's trying to, he's, he's, he's a matchmaker, basically. Um, and here is that scene, and of course, their meeting is not at all what he expects, because they don't say anything to each other. They just stand there, and in this production, they don't stare at each other. But Wagner actually had some very specific stage directions, and he wanted them to just stand and stare at each other. Uh, it's sort of hard to do on stage, but um, 
they, they do have their inner monologue, their, what they are thinking. And uh, the Dutchman says, I have seen the face of this angel before. And she says, this is the man in the portrait. So they recognize each other, but they are, in terms of communicating, they're speechless. Uh, definitely on a different plane. <laughs> He's trying to bribe her and uh, uh, do a, a talk up her virtues to uh, the Dutchman, and they need no introduction. But they do sing a very impassioned uh, duet um, uh, after this. As I say, they, they first start out by um, not being able to say a word to each other. But then it's opera, so of course they have to sing to each other. So let's take a look at the next, uh, at the next scene.
Thank you.
so romantic. It's almost in a Verdi mode. This could be part of the continuation of Bel Canto opera. Um, and it's probably one of the more unusual marriage proposal scenes <laughs> in operatic history. Well, needless to say, she says yes, he says yes. And uh, what about Eric? Well, Eric, yes, Eric is of the young man who has been in love with Senta low these many years. And we will meet him, uh, well, we've met him already, but we will uh, uh, see the confrontation between Senta and Eric and uh, the Dutchman in Act Three. As I mentioned, Wagner wanted this opera to be a one act. As a matter of fact, he was originally thinking of it as a curtain raiser for uh, another production in Paris, but it's a rather long curtain raiser, you will <laughs> admit. Um, so uh, it is going to be done in one act tonight. Um, he did it in three acts for the original Dresden production, um, but he really wanted it to be in one act. So now in act three, we um, see that there is a great celebration going on. The uh, sailors have come home. Uh, the women are joyful to receive them, and they bring them food and lots to drink, and they're celebrating. And they say, well, what about that ship over there? What about that, uh, uh, the, the Dutchman ship? We don't hear anything coming out of that. Where, what are, where are those sailors? And so the women said, well, we'll bring food to them anyway. And so they try to rouse them. And, of course, these are not living sailors. These are all, they've been dead for a long time. And they are ghostly, and they are terrifying. And what Wagner does that I'm not going to play right now, because you'll hear it tonight, um, is the way he merges the cheerful da-da-dum-bum-bum-bum sailor song with the ghostly sailor song. And the ghostly song overtakes the, the cheerful uh, sailor song. But what I do want to play you is the confrontation between Eric and Senta and the Dutchman. Because Eric uh, says to her, you're being unfaithful to me. I've loved you for so long. You just met this guy. How, how come you're throwing yourself at him and there's me? <laughs> and uh, she, uh, the Dutchman hears this and he says, uh-oh, there goes my hope for uh, a faithful woman because she's going to be faithful to this young man who she's known for so long. And uh, so um, the three of them sing a very stunning trio. Apropos the word trio, duet, chorus, as you know, Wagner created the seamless um, idea of continuous music. But this was written before he came up with that concept. So this particular opera is much more traditional in that it has arias, choruses, duets, and then this trio. So uh, this is Eric and Senta and the Dutchman.
on the cusp here of uh, continuing with tradition in uh, Aria's uh, duets in this trio, which is very much a traditional trio, and then breaking out into something new. Um, it's uh, very exciting, as particularly when you know his later works, to see how the germ of his later ideas started in this very dramatic opera. Um, I have, I think we have maybe about one minute. Does anyone have a burning question they have to ask? <laughs> All right, well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, and I hope you enjoy the performance. Thank you. Thank you. That was conductor, composer, and lecturer Victoria Bond on Wagner's Der Fliegende Holländer. See the opera on the Metropolitan Opera stage now through March 27th, and in cinemas live in HD on March 14th. Join us for a variety of programs at the Metropolitan Opera Guild by visiting metguild.org. I'm your host, Stuart Holt, and thank you so much for listening.